Galatians 3, 9 through 10, reading from the King James Version. As we did last week for the sake of a literal translation. It says, So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. May Yahweh bless His word to each of our hearts this day. In the last message, I talked about how of faith in verses 7 through 9, thank you, son, is contrasted with of the works of the law in verse 10. I presented the understanding that of the works of the law refers to people who thought that a certain select few laws that marked them out as Judah secured their salvation. That was somewhat of a new understanding to me that came through Bible study. How many of you are thankful that we can study the Bible and grow in understanding? I don't believe that anybody who truly studies the Bible prayerfully and carefully will continue to believe the exact same thing that they were taught or have believed before. I think with study brings progress and deeper and greater understanding. So I used to believe that Galatians 3 verse 10 taught that the reason that a person was cursed for being of the works of the law, remember ek, ergon, nomos, versus ek, pistis, of faith. I used to believe the reason a person was cursed for being of that way was because no person could keep the law perfectly. No person could be sinless in the law. Romans 3.23, I learned it when I was a little boy. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the Almighty. Now, I still believe that I have not and you have not kept the law perfectly. But I no longer think that that's the point that Paul is writing about in Galatians 3 verse 10. I'm thankful for a deeper understanding, a more developed understanding of this text. We read last week from Deuteronomy 27. The reason we read there is because Paul quotes Deuteronomy 27 verse 26 from the Septuagint in Galatians 3 verse 10. And it says that there's a curse that's pronounced upon people who violate, who break, who transgress the law. And there's a blessing upon people who obey the law. Now, if I believe that a person is cursed for violating the law, then I must believe that a person is blessed for obeying the law. If the cursings are real, then the blessings have to be real too. This would have to mean that such obedience to the law is not outside of the realm of possibility. It's not too difficult. A person is capable of obeying the law and being blessed just like they're capable of disobeying the law and being cursed. Now, of course, I'm not talking about never sinning. That's not what I'm referring to. And I honestly do not believe that's what Yahweh was talking about in Deuteronomy 27. This is because, and catch this very important point, inside the sphere of the Torah, which is the Hebrew word for law or instruction, inside that sphere there exists not only law, but also provisions for atonement, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins does not exist outside of the Torah, but rather inside 
of the Torah. Now, if Yahweh demanded perfection, and when I say perfection, I mean sinlessness. If Yahweh demanded sinlessness of those who followed Him, then why did He place within the law a remedy for the Israelites when they sinned? Yahweh knew that His people would not be sinless. Yahweh realized men would fail to be perfect. And He gave them a way to get back in touch with Him. And so long as they followed that way, they would be blessed and not cursed. As a matter of fact, two out of the five categories of animal sacrifices under the Old Covenant, there's five categories of sacrifices, and two of them deal specifically with the removal or the atonement, I should say, the covering over of sin, the guilt offering and the sin offering. That makes no sense if forgiveness is not offered inside of the law. Let me give you an analogy that will help. When I give my children commands or requirements in my home, I realize that they're not perfect, sinless children. As a matter of fact, I don't expect them to be sinless. I don't expect them never to mess up. They huff or murmur things under their breath sometimes, just like I did when I was a child in my parents' home. Can I get a witness? I realize that they won't always obey what I've said. But that does not mean that there's no place for repentance and forgiveness in my family unit in my home. There have been times when my children have done wrong and later they asked me to forgive them. And I, and I forgave them. And there's been times, brothers and sisters, when I've done wrong as a daddy and I've later asked my children to forgive me and they said, I forgive you. Mommies and daddies can mess up too, amen? Our home unit is one of law and of grace. Grace does not exist outside of our home unit. Grace exists inside of our home unit. My children are blessed for obedience. And when they disobey, there is punishment. But there is still room for confession, repentance, and the forgiveness of sin. So long as they remain in covenant with me and my wife, their parents, they're blessed. The curse for disobedience only stays if they refuse to live penitently and step outside of our family covenant. The Bible talks about this, the rebellious son. Deuteronomy 21, 18-21. There does exist a child that will step outside of that family covenant. But as long as he stays inside of that family unit, that family covenant, even when he fails, even when he disobeys, there is forgiveness, atonement, repentance, all of that exists inside of the home. Now, I believe that it was the same for the children of Israel. Yahweh was in covenant with them. Obey and be blessed, disobey and be cursed. But the curse did not stay upon those who disobeyed and then asked for forgiveness and repented. The curse was lifted. Yahweh wasn't up there in heaven saying, strike one, you're out. If we were out on strike one, none of us would be in communion with the Father, much less saved from our sins. So what I'm saying is that no faithful Israelite under the old covenant was sinless, but they were blessed. There were righteous, faithful Israelites that were blessed for covenant faithfulness and obedience to the law. There's so many verses I could show to prove this. 
I'm just going to go to one. Maybe we'll talk about more next week. But in Luke 1, 5 through 6, and I want you to remember, this is during the Old Covenant. Yeshua had not even been born yet in Bethlehem when this took place. Luke 1, 5 and 6, it says, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abiah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in the Almighty's sight. Now it's going to tell you how they were righteous. Living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. Now, does that text tell us that Zechariah and Elizabeth never sinned? No. It doesn't tell us that. As a matter of fact, if you keep reading in Luke 1, you'll see that there was an angel of the Lord, an angel of Yahweh, that brought a message to Zechariah. And Zechariah doubted the message. He's human. He's not without fault. And Yahweh caused him to be mute for a while until his son, Yohanan, John, we call John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, was born. But Yahweh caused Zechariah not to be able to speak for a little while because of his doubt. That didn't mean Yahweh didn't love Zechariah. That didn't mean Yahweh had not forgiven Zechariah of his sins. But there's oftentimes natural punishments and consequences for things that we do. That's why I tell people, there are things that we suffer with physically that might be consequences of something we have done in the past. It doesn't mean that we're not saved from our sins. It doesn't mean that we will not be in the kingdom of heaven, but it's that there's a cause and effect. There's consequences for things. When my children do something bad, let's say they do something terrible, something awful, and they ask me to forgive them, and we cry, and we pray, and we confess, and there's a forgiveness there, it does not mean that the consequence automatically goes away. It's the same thing with Yahweh and us as His children. So, so Zechariah was a righteous man, but he wasn't a sinless man. Righteous men mess up, but when they do, they confess and they repent. If you could watch Zechariah and Elizabeth's lifestyle, you would see commandment keepers, not commandment breakers. You would not see, catch this now, you would not see people who were of the works of the law like we talked about last week. They didn't just jump through a few outward hoops in the law and then forget the rest. No, Zechariah and Elizabeth lived by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of Yahweh. So, we need to get Galatians 3.10 right. I believe that Galatians 3 and 10 is teaching that when we sin, we do fall under the curse of the law. But the curse of the law only remains upon those who sin and do not ask for forgiveness, repent, and partake of the remedy within the law for our atonement. If you were to ask a faithful old covenant Israelite if they were required to be sinless, they'd likely look at you strange and say, why do you think we have sacrifices for sin if we're required to be sinless? Yahweh did not require sinlessness. He required covenant faithfulness. Part of that covenant faithfulness meant that when you did transgress, you were penitent, you were repentant. And you brought the sacrifice. And you strive to be obedient after that. Even as Yeshua told the woman that He forgave that was caught in the very act of adultery. She had committed sin. But He forgave her and He told her what? Go and sin no more, right? We can't continue to practice sin 
and think that we'll make it into the kingdom of heaven. A person that practices sin, and I use the word practice like a doctor practices medicine, a person that practices sin is a person that has not been regenerated, does not have a new heart. So under the old covenant, the curse was atoned for through the proxy of an animal sacrifice. Under the new covenant, the curse is removed through the proxy of the Lamb of Yahweh, Yeshua, our beloved Messiah. So I now believe that being of the works of the law, Galatians 3.10, is a specific reference to those who believe that being a Judahite secured their salvation. They were saved by ethnicity, not by faith. So they thought. Remember this simple point. Verse 10 in Galatians 3 follows verses 6 through 9. That's a simple point. It's very important. In verses 6 through 9, we covered it over a three-week period last moon. Paul is arguing for sons of Abraham by faith, a spiritual sonship. Well, in verse 10, which follows verses 6 through 9, Paul is condemning those who are of the works of the law, that is, those who believe that their Judahite or Israelite status or their physical sonship through certain select works of the law secured their salvation. I always remember that in Galatians 6 verse 13 it says that those Judaizers who were compelling the Galatian Gentiles to be circumcised for salvation did not keep the law themselves. But the reason they wanted to force the Gentiles to fall up under that was so they could boast in their flesh and say, I got that person circumcised. By way of illustration, some people today treat baptism the way that the Judaizers treated circumcision. Both circumcision and baptism are signs of a covenant. But they are not guarantees of a new heart. There were physical Israelites that were physically circumcised, but Yahweh said, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stiff-necked. And I think the same thing happens with a lot of individuals and churches today with the act of baptism under the new covenant. Baptism is great, it's commanded, it's to be obeyed. But baptism, just because a person is baptized, does not automatically mean that they have a new heart. It doesn't automatically mean that they're regenerate from their sins. And you ask them, somebody, well, are you saved? And they say, well, I've been baptizing. I baptized a long time ago. Are you trusting in that act for your salvation? It's very similar to somebody when you say, well, are you saved? They say, well, I walked down an aisle when I was such and such age and I asked the Lord to come into my heart. Is that what you're trusting in for your salvation? Those are outward signs that do not guarantee an inward reality. Now, where there is an inward reality, the outward sign is necessary. It should be done. But the outwardness doesn't guarantee the inwardness. The Judaizers were trying to force the Gentile men who had already believed in Yeshua the Messiah to become physically circumcised or else they were not saved. And they also forced the Gentile women or tried to force the Gentile women to undergo some kind of conversion process as well. Why? Because they believed in order to be saved you had to be a, in Hebrew, a Yehudim. We call it a Jew, Jewish Judean, Judahite, however you want to say it. You're not one of us, so you can't be saved. Go through the conversion process so you can become one of us as a proselyte to our religion and you will be saved. You'll be a real son or daughter of Abraham 
if you proselytize. Paul combated this by saying, no, those children of Abraham are those who are of faith. And if you want proof, let's go back to Father Abraham who was counted righteous by faith about 14 years before he was ever physically circumcised. Paul combated it with that and Paul also combated it by quoting the law. Paul quotes Deuteronomy 27 in Galatians 3.10. Not to show that it's impossible to be sinless in the law, that's not Paul's point but rather to show that the Judaizers are under the curse of the law because they're not of faith like Abraham. They're not penitent, they're not repentant, but they're living in sin even though it looks like they're righteous on the outside. Now I think after much study that Paul was echoing what Yeshua said to the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23 where he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin. Yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat, yet gulp down a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may also become clean. Question, were the Pharisees wrong in paying their tithe? No, that was a commandment. They were not wrong in paying their tithe. Were the Judaizers wrong by being circumcised? Or wearing tassels? Or not marring the edge of their beard? No. The problem was that they were of the works of the law, meaning they were trusting in a few outward works to justify them. And they were not of Faith. They had no covenant faithfulness. They did not live within that sphere that we talked about of the Torah, of the law of Yahweh. They did not live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Yahweh. Remember when Satan tried to tempt Yeshua at the end of his 40-day fast. He said, if you be the son of Elohim or the son of the Almighty, command these stones to be turned into bread. And hopefully we know that Yeshua could have done that. But he said... It is written, notice he quoted scripture to combat the devil, and that's how we battle. We, we remember those scriptures and we quote those scriptures. He said, it is written, he quoted Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, man shall not live by bread alone. He's talking about himself. I don't live by bread alone, but I live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Yahweh. And if we want to follow the example of our Messiah, that's what we do. We're of faith. We live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Yahweh. Not one word, not two words, not a dozen of them, but by every word that proceeds out of His mouth. Anything that we do in life, we consult the instruction manual because He's our loving Daddy and He will only tell us what's good for us and what's for our benefit. Deuteronomy 6, I've given you these commandments for your good. That doesn't mean we're never going to break one. But when we do, we're penitent, we confess, we repent, and we strive to follow Him, and we get back up, and He forgives us because inside of His law exists the forgiveness of sins. It's beautiful. The Pharisees and the scribes that Yeshua talks about here, they were not like that. Matter of fact, Yeshua said that they neglected justice, mercy, and faith. I want you to notice that mercy and faith are weighty matters in the law. You've neglected the more weighty matters of the law, of the Torah, 
justice, mercy, and faith. I think most of the times, matter of fact, I know from interaction with Christianity today, Christians today whom I love and care for and, and, and not speaking evil of, but most of them think still that mercy and faith are new covenant concepts. That the God of the old covenant was this very vengeful, wrathful deity. But the Christ of the new covenant is not that way. The book of Revelation, though, in the New Testament, talks about the wrath of the Lamb. The Lamb of Yahweh, the Messiah. And in the Old Testament, the Bible says that Father Yahweh is slow to anger, patient, long-suffering, gentle, So we don't have two different deities in the Testaments. And mercy and faith don't just come in at the time of Christ. They're weighty matters in the law. To omit mercy and faith, yet be meticulous in your tithing, is like eating a camel for dinner, but making sure that a gnat doesn't get in the next guy's soup. Doesn't make any sense, does it, David? You're sitting there with your neighbor, and we know that a gnat a gnat, and a camel are both unclean. Deuteronomy 14, Leviticus 11, they're both unclean animals. You're so worried about the the gnat, as you see in the cartoon on the screen, he says, hey pal, there's a gnat in your soup. And the guy's looking at the gnat, and the one that's making the condemnations is, is about to gulp down a camel. That's a big unclean animal versus a little one like a gnat. Well, to omit, once again, mercy and faith, to neglect mercy and faith and justice and yet be very meticulous in your tithing, is like the guy that eats the camel, but strains out the gnat. We don't want to get a gnat in the soup. Who cares about the camel though? We'll go up it down. An illustration is this. It would be like a man that cusses and beats his wife before he leaves for work. That's definitely not right, correct? Well, the man does this, but then he goes out to lunch at the local Zaxby's and he makes sure he's very meticulous. He says, no bacon please on the salad. Don't want to eat the bacon. That's straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. That's a person that's of the works of the law rather than one that's of faith. A man that's of faith will live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Yahweh. A man that's of the works of the law will jump through a few outward hoops in the law to look and appear righteous but he will not have the reality on the inside. Such is not a man of faith. Only a man of works. And it is a biblical principle, brothers and sisters, that works without faith is dead being alone. I did not just say faith without works is dead. That's biblical too. Faith without works is dead being alone. But the Bible teaches that works apart from faith, which can be done, they are dead works being alone because they're not produced by a heart of faith, a faithful heart. If you remember last week, I talked about the thief that doesn't steal because he sees the police. He wants to steal, but he decides not to because he's worried about getting caught. He obeys the law that says don't steal, but he's disobeying it because he wants to do it. See, The man of faith obeys because he doesn't want to steal from his neighbor. He wants to fulfill the law. Yeshua says that the scribes and Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but not the inside. I don't even want to think about only washing my dishes on the outside. (laughs) That's just nasty, isn't it? Rosalind, 
That's nasty. Rosalind's in charge of our dishwashing at the house. She does a superb job. She's probably wondering, Dad, why are you mentioning my name in your sermon right now? She does a superb job, but what if I told her, just do the outside, Rosie. Just do the outside. She'd probably look at me like, no, Dad, I'm not going to do the outside. I'm going to disobey that commandment. (laughs) That would be crazy. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees had all the outward stuff on. The Judaizers bragged. They said, look at us. We're Judah. Look at us. And they did look like righteous people. But they were unrighteous people. They were not of faith like Abraham. Now, none of this means that the outward laws are bad. None of this means that we should not obey the outward laws. Remember, Yeshua said their tithing was a good thing. He said, this ought you to do. But don't leave the other undone. Clean first the inside of the cup, that what? The outside may also become clean. So don't do away with the outward works. Remember, the man of faith lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Yahweh. But see, the outward signs or the outward laws, they don't mean anything unless there exists an inward reality of faith. A person can look righteous on the outside and be full of dead men's bones on the inside. It's like what I said earlier about circumcision and baptism. Both are outward signs of a covenant and both are good works. But an outward sign does not automatically prove that there's an inward difference. It doesn't. In conclusion, I believe that many of the Gentile believers in Galatia actually condemned the Judahite believers with their life of faith. This does not mean that all the Judahite believers were lost. Many of them were of faith. And they were circumcised. And they wore tassels. And they ate kosher. Those things were not wrong or bad. Those are all good works. But the key is is that those Judahites who were true men of faith, men like James and Peter and Paul, Judahite believers in the Messiah, they did not rely on a few outward works to make them right with Yahweh. They did not rely on their ethnicity or their status as a Judahite to secure their salvation. They did not rely on physical circumcision to secure their salvation. They were men that were of faith. They trusted, just like Abraham trusted in the promise of Yahweh, they trusted in the promise of Yahweh, the gospel promise. Brothers and sisters, we have to be of faith if we're going to be saved. Trusting in a few outward works of the law that you do is not going to save you. Never will. Salvation is from the inside out, not from the outside in. Salvation is spiritual heart surgery. And it's accomplished and performed by the greatest physician of all, Yahweh the Father. There's really no greater miracle than that a dead man spiritually be brought to a live man spiritually. And until a man is alive spiritually, then when we witness, we're speaking to people that are dead and unable to hear. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. It doesn't matter how holy they look. You must have this thing on the inside. You must be a person, a man or woman of faith if you're going to be a son or a daughter of Abraham. Yahweh the Father changes our desires when He gives us a new heart. The Bible says, If any man be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have what? Passed away. Behold, all things are made new. 
I want to be in the Messiah. Amen? I want to be a new creation. I want to be a man of faith. I don't want to think that these four tassels I've got on my shirt save me from my sins. I don't want to think that this outward work of the law that's not difficult at all where I don't mar the edges of my beard, I don't want to think that that makes me saved from my sins. I don't want to think that how I look or dress on the outside saves me from my sins. And then I'm guilty of a host of sins that you cannot see when I'm by myself. Just like the scribes and Pharisees. I don't want to trust in those things. I want to trust in the Messiah. And if I do, I'll be a man of faith. And that means I'll be a faithful man. Anybody that tells you they're a man of faith, but they're not a faithful man, is a liar. And the truth is not in them. Any man of faith will be a faithful man like Father Abraham. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I appreciate you so much. Hallowed be your name, Almighty Yahweh. Father, I I always worry that what I want to get across to the saints may not get across. I always worry that I didn't say it the right way. Or, but Father, I pray that you'd attach your spirit to the verses that we read. And I pray, Yahweh, that you would grant new hearts. Wash us clean, Father. Help us, Yahweh. I shouldn't rely on me. I should rely on your Spirit. Anyhow. Father Yahweh, I pray that you would make me be a man of faith. I don't want to be a a man who thinks that he's saved and is not. I don't want to be a man who thinks he's better than anybody else. I just want to be a son of Abraham. Help me to trust you more day by day. And I pray that same prayer for everybody in here. From the youngest to the oldest. I don't think there's any age limit on the new heart. Nobody's too young or too old. Grant that, Father. Repentance. Grant that faith. We thank you for your law. Which means we thank you for your commandments. And we also thank you for the forgiveness that exists within your law. Or we can repent. And you can forgive us because you're loving like that. I pray that you'd bring us back here again next Sabbath to learn more of your word. And as we leave here this evening and we go about our our week, may we strive to imitate the example that your son set for us. Pray all these things, Father, to you through Yeshua, your son. Amen. Yahweh bless you. Shalom.